Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Health Trip Podcast. You often hear me talk about cellular health, especially when talking about hair growth and hair loss. And then I realize I've never really devoted an entire episode to why our cellular health is so important. Inside most of our cells, as well as plants, fungi, and animals are the mitochondria or the power plants of the cells. These little organelles make chemical energy called ATP or adenosine triphosphate, which is our body's energy currency. In relation to hair growth, for example, the cells that make up our hair follicles need a lot of energy to grow hair. In relation to our skin cells, if we don't have healthy mitochondria making enough ATP, we won't have healthy, youthful looking skin. This is true for our kidneys, our liver, heart, brain, and muscle cells. They all need optimal amounts of healthy mitochondria to produce optimal amounts of ATP or the chemical energy. So you can see how this topic is a priority when you're thinking about your longevity plan. It's important to know this information and understand how you can pivot your lifestyle in a direction that supports mitochondrial health, especially as you age. You are only as healthy as your mitochondria. And as women age and go through menopause, their mitochondrial function is less optimal in both quantity and quality, and they become damaged. Thus, they can't take care of business. My guest today, Jennifer Scheinman, is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's degree in integrative and functional nutrition. She has spent over 20 years of her career working at some of the country's leading institutes for health and wellness, where she developed and executed the health coaching programs and content strategy. With expertise in helping aging and disease prevention, Jen brings her passion for improving health and longevity to Timeline, the company that produces urolithin A supplements, where she leads the efforts to educate healthcare practitioners and consumers on the incredible benefits of MitoPure. We're going to dig into what mitochondria are, how they work, why they matter, and how urolithin A connects the dots. And if you've never heard of urolithin A, stay tuned because it's pretty darn important to our overall health and aging process. A little medical disclaimer before we start, by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your mind and enjoy the podcast episode. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Jill, I'm super excited to be here as well. So thank you. Yeah, so we're here to talk about a topic I haven't really devoted a whole show to, which is mitochondrial health. But um, before we start digging into that topic, I want to know just a little bit more about you and how you came to this space of integrative and functional medicine coming from a traditional registered dietitian background. Yeah, well, I've been in sort of the nutrition and wellness field for, gosh, over 20 years now. So right after I graduated from college, I went on to become a registered dietitian. 
and um, worked in sort of some various uh, different areas, working sort of in, as hospital dietitian and kind of doing some private practice. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think one of the things I, I found is that I really love working in sort of broader groups and population levels. So I sort of left my private practice at that time and started working, directing some health coaching programs for large companies like United and Optum Health. Um, and what I sort of started finding is that some of the traditional things that we've learned, like calories in and calories out, weren't really working for my patients. Um, and I was also struggling with my own and sort of my own early 40s or struggling with my own health issues that sort of traditional medicine was sort of not dismissing, but really struggling to find answers for. And that was really, so this was about almost 10 years ago about when I started discovering functional medicine and what that is. And I um, partnered with a functional medicine doctor um, who discovered I had Lyme. And mm. that really sent me on my journey to what is functional medicine. I loved the concept that food and nutrition were such a foundational integrative or integral part of that sort of treatment plan. And so then that led me to get my master's in um, integrative and functional nutrition and to then go back into private practice and really use all those tools that I was doing. I sort of left um, United Healthcare and was going out on my own. And then through a series of twists and turns, landed uh, a job that I have now at a company called Timeline, which are makers of something called Urolithin A, which I think we'll get into after mm -hmm. we sort of dive into um, mitochondria. And so I really have kind of taken on this role of helping to educate people on this new nutrient that most people aren't familiar with yet, and also helping to kind of spearhead some of these conversations around the mitochondria, because I think for the vast majority of us, it's something we haven't thought about since high school biology. And many people have tried to actually block that memory out of high school biology and the mitochondria. And so I want to make it fun and interesting for people to kind of learn about how their bodies work. I love that. And I also love that you and I are having this discussion and you are in a phase of perimenopause. I'm in menopause and that's the most of my community are women in yeah. midlife and how all of this connects, because I think it's so important to not just think it's only nutrition or it's only sleep. It's only extra. It's a combination of all of these things that we're going to be talking about that help support mitochondrial health. So with that being said, what are the mitochondria? Take us yes. back to biology. Take out, taking you back to biology. So, you know, when we think about at the most, most basic level, right, we are made up of trillions of cells and each cell has unique responsibilities, whether they're the cells of your skin, of your muscles, of your GI tract, right? They all have their own jobs to do what they do. Um, and at the helm of that is really, they need energy to do those jobs. And so inside each of our cells, there are sometimes thousands, depending on which cell it is, of these little energy producing factories called the mitochondria. And most of us probably remember sort of the term, the powerhouse of the cell. And while, you know, that's somewhat a, a still very relative term, because yes, the mitochondria are, are energy powerhouses. Um, we're learning that actually the mitochondria play a lot of different roles in sort of our cell signaling, in sort of the life and death cycle of our cells, how our cells communicate. So the mitochondria are just extremely important for how each of our cells function and how each of our cells do its job. Um, I think for the sake of much of our conversation today, I'll probably focus on sort of that energy metabolism though, that cellular powerhouse of the cell, because I think 
as women, especially as sort of our bodies are changing, as sometimes our diets are changing and our exercise needs are changing to reflect what's happening with our body, just how we metabolize energy is super important. And then that kind of comes down to the mitochondria. So we'll kind of keep it probably focused on that, but just think it's important to know that the role of this tiny little organelle goes far beyond just being a powerhouse. Yeah. One doctor I had on a podcast described it as the battery of a car. And mm -hmm. if you don't have the battery working properly, the car is not going to be working properly. So I thought that was a really good analogy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good memory for people to keep in the back of their mind is right. As people start thinking about mitochondrial decline and how that's showing up in their everyday sort of lives and how they're feeling it, it can be different for everybody because that battery makes a brain cell be a brain cell or a joint cell be a better joint cell to produce better um, cartilage for that joint to be ha happy and healthy. So yeah, so that battery, whether you're a Tesla or a dump truck or whatever that job is, you need that battery to, to be working. And so are we born with a certain amount, a certain number of these mitochondria? Do they increase as we age or are they, do they decrease as we start aging into our, you know, midlife years? Yeah. So all of the above. So they're very, it's very dynamic. So they are constantly going under fission and fusion. And so meaning they sort of morph together and separate to kind of meet the cellular energy demands of the tissue. Um, but what happens is as we get older, so we sort of peak biologically speaking, both in sort of organ function, but mitochondrial function as well. We sort of peak in our thirties. Um, and then we start to kind of accumulate this damage of our mitochondria. And then that is really where we start seeing some of these issues that start to happen with chronic conditions of aging. Um, so, but we do have the ability to stimulate more we call it biogenesis. So the ability to create more mitochondria, we definitely have the ability to do that. We are also things that we can do, unfortunately, that will exacerbate that damage. So it's morphing and it's in flux. It's not like, um, you know, I've heard like, right, we, we have so many eggs in our ovaries and that sort of expires for lack of a better word. It's not the same with the mitochondria. We, we can produce more and there, there's a lot of morphology that happens there. So let's talk about a couple of the main functions of the mitochondria. And we don't have to go too deep into the science, but just on a um, a basic level for the understanding of the audience here, we've got cell function and cell communication. So can you expand on that? Yeah, so our cells, I'm gonna actually take it one step above and then go to that. Cause I think that right. one of the things that I think is, is important is, so when science, scientists are really sort of st struggling, studying, excuse me, like why our bodies age and sort of what happens, right? We've now defined these 12 hallmarks mm -hmm. of aging. And so these are different processes within our body. Um, you know, I think cell senescence or like AKA zombie cells has been sort of a big term, mitochondria, um, chronic inflammation, right? These are all ways that our cells sort of communicate with each other and work with each other. And these hormones are very intertwined. And so, yeah, so the mitochondria 
play a role in how cells talk to each other. Um, they can send, if they are damaged, they can send inflammatory signals out to other cells. They can contribute to, um, there's sort of this programmed cell death, which sounds scary, but as our cells kind of start to become dysfunctional, we actually kind of want them to retire. And so mitochondria right. can kind of contribute to that communication of saying to a cell, it's your time to retire. Um, so there's a different, a lot of different pathways. They also communicate just with our calcium homeostasis, and that's another cell signal as well. So there's a lot of different roles that can work with um, communication between cells. So I know that when women, um, and probably men, but we're talking about women here today, when they're in their 30s, they start to lose about 1% of their lean muscle mass a year. So by the time, yes. you know, you're in mid 50s like me, you've, unless you're really uh, diligent about keeping a strong foundation and working out a lot throughout the week with weight resistant training, is, is the mitochondria, is that what's going on? Is there a connection between the loss of the quality of the mitochondria or the, the number of mitochondria in our muscle cells where there's a lot of mitochondria? Yes. And yes. The, okay. So both. So both, so both the quality, meaning both the quality and the quantity of the mitochondria. And so you're absolutely right. And that is the case for men as well. Um, so we do start to lose muscle mass and it can happen at a percentage of like, you know, depending on how much you're working out and sort of treating that foundation of like three to up to 10% of muscle mass can be lost per decade of life. And then when we start to get to our sixties, that decline and degradation happens even quicker. And again, that's for both men and women. Women are in a bit of a unique phase because obviously estrogen comes into play there. And as we start to lose estrogen and our other sex hormones, right, that, that also plays a role in muscle health as well. Um, but absolutely at sort of the the pinnacle of sort of what's happening with our muscles is that decline in, in energy metabolism coming from the mitochondria. So the mitochondria start to lose their ability to um, produce energy. And one, one of the reasons for that is sort of like as a, as a byproduct of them doing their job and um, they create free radicals or reactive oxygen species, ROS, people have heard that term a lot. And so um, as they're producing energy, these reactive oxygen species are a byproduct. And so they then kind of go and damage the mitochondria themselves. So the mitochondria are almost like self-sacrificing as they're, hmm. you know, as we're going through energy production. And that is really why like a anti-inflammatory diet and making sure that you're getting lots of um, antioxidants and polyphenols in your diet, right? Like, and vitamins like helps to protect that free radical damage from happening. And that's part of why we have this innate process inside our body called mitophagy that helps to protect the mitochondria and knows that because they get so damaged and they're so critical to our health, we need a way to clear out those damaged mitochondria and create new healthier ones. And I think- it, wait, uh, is, my, is, mito is mitophagy a subdivision of autophagy? Yep. That was exactly where I was going to go. So I think the term autophagy people have gotten really familiar yep. with, at least people who are like into the fasting world and community, they understand that sort of recycling. And so mitophagy is just a very specific targeted type of autophagy that goes just directly to the mitochondria. So it's not really focusing on any of the other um, recycling processes of other organelles or you know, cell membranes or anything like that. It's just really focused on the mitochondria. But yeah, absolutely. Just a, another term for autophagy that's a little more targeted. Hmm. So as you were saying um, and mentioning the hallmarks of aging, one of them is mitochondrial dysfunction. Yes. And so how do you know if your mitochondrial health is declining and not functioning properly? 
So that's a really good question because there is not really like one solid blood test out there or any sort of test to sort of tell that. So let's sort of start first with in clinical trials, what they kind of do. Um, and one of the things they do is muscle biopsies where they take a biopsy of the muscle and they look at the mitochondria under cell membrane, under sorry, electron microscopes, and they look at gene function and they have all of these different tools that they can assess mitochondrial function. We of course don't have that in everyday world. You know, you're not gonna go to your doctor and he's not gonna biopsy your muscle. So until we sort of have more definitive tests, we're sort of using, like practitioners are sort of using um, biomarkers to kind of assess that. And there are some newer tests, I think, that are coming out that like organic acid tests, which can kind of look at um, sort of different nutrients and sort of byproducts of metabolism that can kind of indicate how your mitochondria are functioning, things like looking at thyroid. There's So there's a lot of indicators that we can kind of look at. I think just as a practitioner, the thing is, is kind of taking the whole story of your patient, right? Like, and some of the symptoms like that most likely for me signal that somebody might have some issues with mitochondrial dysfunction are fatigue. That would certainly be a first one. Um, recovery. So working out and not feeling like they're recovering or they're getting weaker. Brain fog and cognition. That's another one. Memory problems, just sort of feeling like you're in that phase of you know, I'm feeling a little bit spacey, um, you know, and then sometimes like those are kind of like the big three ones. And then sometimes people might also say things like, you know, I'm struggling with metabolism, right? Like weight gain, you know, insulin resistance, those types of things will all play into it. But, you know, those are all also symptoms that can be a lot of other things as well. Yeah. And like menopause. Is, it, exactly. <laughs> right. And so it's a lot of it is like what came first, the chicken or the egg also, mm -hmm. right? Like is mitochondrial decline what's causing these? Is it something else that might be contributing to your mitochondrial decline? So it's just unfortunately not really black and white. Our bodies are super complex. And I think that women should just take all of this information and, you know, and, and it can be challenging and find a healthcare practitioner that they trust and can kind of walk through this like, hey, could this be something about my mitochondria? Could this be my hormones? Could it be something else, right? And where you can kind of have these open dialogues and conversations. I, I really wish there was like a test I could just say like, yep, this is going to tell you if your mitochondrial are declining. But I think it's also a safe assumption that if you are over the age of 40 or 45, you are exhibiting mitochondrial decline as part of the aging process. And so um, I think that's sort of a fair assessment to say, yes, you probably do have mitochondrial decline, but that certainly doesn't mean there's nothing you can do about it. There's plenty, plenty that can be done about it. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about. Yeah. There's, I've had about 25 years of on and off hair loss for yep. myself. And so I work with a lot of women with hair loss yeah. and at the root of that is some mitochondrial dysfunction, right? Your, yeah. your mitochondria are not getting what they need in order to make enough energy and your hair, hair growth requires a lot of energy and your body doesn't care if you have hair or not. Like that's not, you don't need hair to survive, right? You need, sure. There's a lot of other things going on. And so one of the tests that I did many, many years, maybe a decade ago that really turned the corner for me and also brought me more to the awareness of mitochondrial function is a micronutrient test. Mm -hmm. And because I could see what were the nutrients that I wasn't able to get to a cellular level to be converted into ATP. So can you talk about that process of 
when you eat, your food breaks down. And then how do the nutrients that you eat get to your cells? And what happens if they don't, what's going on if they're not getting to the, to the cells? Yeah. So thank you for bringing up like B vitamins, because that is another way for sure yeah. to test for mitochondrial function, whether you're you know, have enough. And again, whether it's in your blood and not getting into your cells. So, you know, we have a very complex system of when we eat, our food gets broken down into, you know, the basics. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure you've probably covered this on your many of your podcasts, but right, we have our proteins, our fats and our carbohydrates. And then even within those, they're broken down into fatty acids, amino acids and um, glucose and fructose and simple sugars. And then we also have vitamins and minerals. And so all of those things get sort of pulled apart, almost like Lego land pulling apart into these little individual Legos. And assuming all making the assumption we have a healthy gut microbiome and a healthy gut lining and the gut is doing its job, right? And our digestive system is doing our job. We absorb those things and they go to mostly to our liver first. We sort of processes them around and then sends out all of these nutrients to our cells where our cells need them. And they enter the cell and Here's where I kind of like to think of the mitochondria as that now we're kind of referring to it as that powerhouse strictly in its like energy producing. It's almost like a little complex factory. So we now have all these raw materials, which are your carbohydrates, your proteins, and your fat. And then you have all those B vitamins and all of those other, um, you know, like CoQ10 and, and carnitine and sort of all these other things, right, which are helping to make sure that those raw materials can get into the cell correctly and get into the mitochondria and then can be shuttled through this assembly line. So we think of like B vitamins, for example, as co-workers on that assembly line, kind of making sure that this metabolism happens. And then at the end, at the end, you hopefully have this like beautifully packaged energy called ATP. And so if some of those nutrients are either lacking or even over nutrients in the case of like too much fat, too much um, carbs, right? Like that all can kind of start to damage the mitochondria in how it's producing energy right now. It's not going to be quite as efficient. Um, and so that all could lead to, as to your point of showing up as hair loss, showing up as, you know, besides the hair follicles, right? Like our muscles, our brain, our heart, our um, kidneys, right? These are all highly energy dependent. And so if we don't have all of those nutrients, then we're going to start to lose energy. And that's where those symptoms start to come in. Like, oh, I'm feeling brain fog. It's because your brain's not firing in all cylinders. I'm not having good recovery. Well, because your muscles can't really repair because they're depleted of energy. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's a lot of people might notice the brain fog and maybe um, the muscle not recovering, but it's the things on the outside of us that we start to notice the first. So the massive hair shedding or our skin, maybe there's acne or eczema, psoriasis, right? Yeah. Rashes. There's these physical um, clues of, and they're representing a much deeper, more important issue that's going on under the hood. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate that we do live in a slightly vain world where people do put a lot of emphasis on those outside issues. Um, but I think it's important. Um, when we get into urolithin A, it, it does work topically, and we're actually studying it for hair as well. So we can chat about that. Um, but one of the things that we're really trying to focus on is having people think of these signs like hair loss, like skin health as indicators of our health in general that are yeah. far beyond just how you look, right? Like that skin inflammation likely means there's inflammation somewhere else in your body, right? If, especially for women, 
slightly different for men, right? If you're starting to lose hair, um, and especially if you have not gone through menopause, right? Is it diet? Is it mm -hmm. thyroid? There's certainly, that is an indicator of something else potentially going on. Yeah. So the example you gave of how food breaks down into little basic molecules and it gets into the cell and converts, that's when we're all really healthy and all of our ducts are aligned. But yes. for most of us, our ducts are not aligned and we have gut dysbiosis. Almost mm -hmm. everybody I work with has gut dysbiosis. And so this is where your Lithin A comes in. And I'm really excited to talk about this, mm -hmm. but tell us what your Lithin A is and how it's connected to gut health. And we're going to get into all the nuances as well. Yeah. So it is called, it, it is actually something that's called a postbiotic. So just to kind of reiterate, just in case someone listening is not sure what that term is, I think most people at this point know what a probiotic is, meaning that healthy microbiome, those, you know, the bacteria, yeast, all of the things that live in our gut that make this community of um, healthy microbes that support our health. And so then we have those prebiotics, right? That's like that fiber and those polyphenols that feed that healthy gut. And what I sort of like to joke in a very simplistic term is where it's almost like we're giving those bacteria free room and board, and then they pay us in these postbiotics, right? These healthy metabolites that we then can use um, in our body. And so short chain fatty acids, I think, are one postbiotic that people have become really familiar with in terms of both gut health and mental health. Um, believe it or not, some B vitamins, vitamin K, those are actually postbiotics. Mm -hmm. And then urolithin A. So it's important to understand we don't make it on our own. So without a healthy gut microbiome, no matter how healthy your diet is, you're not making urolithin A or you're not making enough of it. So that's the first thing. And the post, the where it's made um, or how it's made is um, these polyphenols called oligitannins. So those are mostly found in things like pomegranate, some berries, some nuts, um, but they're not sort of like widely consumed polyphenol. So they're sort of in a more or smaller window of types of foods that we eat. They go into our gut. Our gut, again, if it's working correctly, we'll convert that to urolithin A, which then um, we absorb and it can go to the cells where it'll work on the mitochondria. So kind of coming full circle there. Yeah. But not everybody is going to eat these foods like you were saying. And even if you ate those foods in a large dose, right? Because now people are probably listening to this saying, oh, I'm going to go buy pomegranate. They're going to be in everything. Yes. And I'm going to buy all these nuts. And well, that's not exactly how it works because isn't, is it some people can produce it much more yep. easily than others. Is, is there any genetic correlation to this? So, you know, I don't know if it's a genetic correlation or right. We're learning more and more about the microbiome and being passed down from, you know, certainly from, you know, this we know for sure, if you were breastfed or whether you were a vaginal birth. So we know that for sure. Um, we know that there are epigenetic changes that happen with us, even in like, you know, generations before us. So whether we have the right microbiome or not, I think we don't know that yet. And how like, and the other thing, like our chief medical officer, for example, like he grew up in India. He's, he talks about this often, like he was given antibiotics all the time as a child. And he, He's just like, I cannot produce it. Like the, I do not produce it. So we've actually studied how many people can produce it. And what we're finding in the States is that it's, you know, 30 to 40% of people even produce it at all. And then we'll talk about some clinical trials about urolithin A, but what we're finding in the, in clinical, in trials with urolithin A is the dose that you would have to eat basically is six cups of pomegranate juice. 
And while I love being a food first dietitian and proponent, I would never encourage someone to drink six cups of pomegranate right. juice a day, period. Way too much sugar. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can eat pomegranates. I think they're super healthy. There is a number of studies that show the polyphenols in there are helpful. But if we're talking about just from a urolithinase standpoint, um, I wouldn't really necessarily recommend going the dietary route on that. So how do you know if you're a producer of urolithin A or not? Do you get a stool test? Is so this- you, it's actually a blood test. So there is not a commercially available test right now. Um, and we should totally get you hooked up with this, Jill, so you can try it and give it to your community oh, as love well. To. So there is a um, clinical trial right now, because I think the hope is we will commercialize this, but it's a simple blood test, actually. So what we're actually testing is, is there urolithin A in your bloodstream? Um, because we're not entirely sure what microbes make it. So we do know that people who have more diverse gut microbiome, um, we know acromensia tends to be present, but we haven't really targeted like the exact species that produces urolithin A. So what kind of studies have done is sort of bypass that. There are certainly people who are still researching that, but it's just kind of gone to like, let's just make sure we can get urolithin A in your bloodstream through supplementation. And so there's a test that we send out and where we actually do give you a cup of pomegranate juice. And so you drink that and then you take the test with a blood, little blood splat on a little like dried card. And then um, you wait for that to clear out of your system. And then you take MitoPure and then you test it and you send it in. And so we'll give you an analysis of how much urolithin A was in your bloodstream after the pomegranate juice and then how much was after. So it'll show you not only can you produce it and how much you're producing compared to when you take direct supplementation. So, and it's because it's a clinical trial is free right now. Um, I know we are starting to sort of limit how many people get in. I have no control over that because it goes, but uh, but I'll send you the link. We'll get you signed up for that. And then you can certainly post that in the show notes for anybody who's interested in well as well. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So urolithin A is a superstar right now. It's, it's becoming one. Um, and I think in part, uh, is due to is due to just the amazing quality research that's been happening around this molecule. Um, so any of your listeners who have never heard about it, you are not living under a rock. It's a bit of a up and comer. Um, so I'll I'll share some details just about timeline who I do work for. Um, so just want to put that disclaimer out there um, and the research that they've been doing because I think they sort of put urolithin A on the map and their quality research has now has researchers kind of across the world, not related to us at all, who are getting really excited about urolithin A. So the founders of Timeline are actually um, doctors and scientists who really wanted to take this sort of biotech approach to nutritionals. And so to kind of try and find out what are some of these active ingredients that are in the food that we eat and how can we kind of use them to optimize health. And so they really started with dissecting the pomegranate because as we were sort of chatting about before, it's just so rich in so many polyphenolic compounds and antioxidants. Um, And it was sort of, you know, this was also about like 15 maybe even almost 20 years ago, like Palm Wonderful was like having a day with all of their like pomegranate juice marketing. So it was a bit trendy, I think at that point too. Um, And so what the researchers started discovering is they kind of were looking at these oligitannin polyphenols, the precursors, and then the postbiotic. And they actually started by feeding it to worms. And that's where a lot of longevity research starts is worms have a very short 
life, they live, you know, like 30 days. And so it's very easy to start testing those things in these sort of smaller animals. And so what they found was that when they fed worms urolithin A, they were living 45% longer. And that was not happening with the polyphenols, the illigitanins. And the thing that got the researchers really excited is this is the type of number that you see, again, this is worms, not humans, we're very different, but the type of stuff that you see with calorie restriction. And some of these other longevity molecules that are on the market, things like even like rapamycin and metformin, mm -hmm. with the NAD precursors, resveratrol, they're increasing worm lifespan around like 15, 20, maybe 25%. But urolithin A is really right up there. And so that got people super excited. That said, let's ditch the pomegranate. Let's ditch prebiotics and postbiotics. I'm sorry, and um, uh, prebiotics and probiotics. Let's look at this postbiotic and see what happens. And so for 15 years, we've been researching, we, I not me, our company has really been researching like through animal models. Again, like all good research should do. We're seeing improvements in mice, also in muscle strength, endurance, as we start feeding this to older mice, they start acting younger. Um, and then we moved it all the way into humans. And we focus really on that muscle story first. Number one, because the muscles, as we talked about before, are so dependent on mitochondrial health and energy. Um, and so we really expected to be able to see a lot of interest, interesting data come out of that. Um, but now what's happened is we understand this link between mitophagy. Every cell in your body, other than your red blood cells, has mitochondria. And so just as we talked about the brain, the hair follicles, all of this. So now researchers are starting to put together like, well, what happens if we give this? What happens in, in brain health and, you know, chronic neurodegenerative diseases? What happens in, you know, metabolic health? What happens in joint health? All of this. So that's sort of where the research is going off. We don't have great human studies yet. It's really been still in the animal phase in a lot of those places. Um, but the muscle story is really strong right now. Um, and so we start to see significant improvements in muscle strength and performance in middle-aged and seniors, um, older adults, so like age 65 and to 95, even in the absence of changing their exercise or their, their diet we're starting to see improvements in muscle strength and performance. And as we talked about before earlier, I think it's pretty impressive considering that muscle decline starts happening in our thirties. And then when we start to get to 65, it becomes even more rapid. So that's kind of been, been the story. So it sounds like most people are going to have to supplement with this because they're not going to be good producers of it. And so when someone starts to take this as a supplement, is this a lifelong supplement or is this intermittent? What, how does that work? I look at it as a lifelong supplement, right? Um, and I, you know, I think people have to figure that out with their own healthcare practitioners, what else they're taking. You know, mm -hmm. I think of this as I think of like a high quality multivitamin, a fish oil. I think of this as sort of like a foundational tool in my daily regimen. And the reason for that is the way it activates mitophagy is very similar to the way exercise activates mitophagy. And you have to do exercise regularly, right? Right. One time you do exercise, that's great. It is helpful. Like it's it's wonderful, but you're not going to really reap the benefits if you do exercise just once and then kind of skip it and don't do it. Same thing with diet, right? You have to do that regularly mm -hmm. in order to provide all the nutrients that your body needs. So, um, so I look at it, yes, as a daily, um, and, and as we age, right, our, our mitochondria are, the function is declining, right? And so I see it, especially as we get older or something that, yeah, you would want to take on a daily basis. 
So people who are a good candidate for this would be menopausal women or even women going through perimenopause. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I know I personally, one of my personal things that I work not only with my patients, but myself is muscle, right? Um, We, I don't know if you follow like Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of practitioners out there who are really talking about muscle being the organ of longevity and how important it is for us. And I don't know if you have a similar experience with your practice, but I just don't think women are treating their muscles with the love that they deserve, meaning they are not uh, weight training. We love our cardio, right? Especially my age group. Like I know, you know, like in college and post-college, it was like, just how many minutes can you put on the elliptical machine? Right. But I never wanted to lift a weight Um, and, and kind of steering clear of, of animal products and, Back then, it was like, oh, you can eat all the snack wells you want, right? It was like, yes, snack carbs, wells. Carbs, oh my carbs. god, <laughs> yeah, they lasted seconds on the shelf at the grocery store. <laughs> exactly, right. And so it was carb, 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 not protein. And right. and I think there was sort of a fear of protein. And I think there was mm-hmm. also a lot of fear again in my community of just like not wanting to beef up and put muscle on. And so now I think we're. I'm really trying to educate women. You've got to be focused on your muscle health. And I think that. Urolithin A is a key player in that as evidenced by, you know, even if you're not going to weight train or change your diet, then even more so does this become important. What about people who have um, gut dysbiosis in terms of SIBO or IBD, Crohn's? Um, is urolithin A as a supplement going to help them even though there's some gut dysbiosis going on? So there's a couple of, these are, these are not clinical trials. So they're more, um, and when I say clinical trial, that's specifically in humans. So other trials that are precursors to human trials, or when we look at either like cells or we're looking at animal models. So we see some preclinical stuff that's pretty interesting. So inflammatory bowel disease, um, so like Crohn's, we are seeing improvements in um, the inflammation that happens in the gut. So there does seem to be a an indication that urolithin A might be helpful there. Mm. Um, SIBO and dysbiosis. Um, there are also some preclinical trials showing that when you are utilizing urolithin A, you are helping to kind of rebalance the gut microbiome. Yeah. Um, you know, similar to how like short chain fatty acids like butyrate can be used as a gut therapy. Now there's no clinical trials that I know. That's just sort of me putting my intuitive hat on. Um, And I think the other reason, again, even if it's not necessarily contributing to healing the gut microbiome and the inflammation is happening there, we know you're most likely, if you have gut dysfunction, probably not making it. So we definitely, and not only that, you probably are not absorbing all the nutrients that you should be, right? And so it just kind of becomes even more of a reason why you might want to supplement with it. So circling back to the muscle story that you um, were talking about, Taking this as a supplement, as a daily supplement long-term is not going to magically build muscle. You still have to get in the gym and do the work. Yes. And I think one of the things to point out is it's not anabolic. So it's not like protein. It's not like creatine. It's not going to make your muscles bigger. What it does is it makes each of those muscle cells stronger and healthier. And then if you can lift more or you can exercise more, I would suppose we don't have the studies to show this, but I would suppose that you would have muscle um, increase. I apologize. The dogs are barking. If you hear that. No worries. Um, Dog lover over here. Yeah. Yeah. FedEx is here. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so it's not going to be something anabolic. that's going to make your muscles grow you. And 
same thing. Yes. With the muscle health, always diet and nutrition has to come first. You cannot supplement your way out of poor lifestyle habits. Especially when you're looking at something like taking MitoPure and being committed and dedicated to a long-term use, right? First of all, it costs yeah. money and it's part yeah. of a daily practice. So there's going to be your time and energy and attention devoted to this. So you want to make sure that you give any, anytime you do anything, you want to make sure your foundation is as strong as possible and that you maintain a strong foundation. Like you said, with diet, exercise, optimal sleep, stress management, it's not going to take the place of any of these things. Absolutely. And I, I don't know of anything that will <laughs> take the place of those things. Right. Yeah. Um, so then we just start looking at how do you optimize those things or get an advantage if, you know, if you are a woman in your forties or fifties or sixties or seventies, <clears throat> doesn't even matter, or eighties, nineties that has not optimized their health, it's not too late. And so these can then become tools to help, help you play catch up. What damages our mitochondrial function? Well, we talked about age for sure. Yep. Um, I think I mentioned sort of <clears throat> overfeeding certainly can damage our mitochondria, um, stress, toxins in the environment. They're very sensitive. Um, even common medications like statins are heavily, you know, that would be like a Lipitor, right? Heavily prescribed for high cholesterol. And that actually can damage our mitochondria as well. So sort of this, you know, and, and that's not, at all meant to be, don't take those. There's a very good place for that if that is something that you're doing with your doctor, but um, that kind of becomes a question, right? Like a lot of times doctors will supplement CoQ10 when you're put on a statin because of right. mitochondrial dysfunction. So um, our mitochondria really, just like the rest of our body are sort of susceptible to all the poor habits that we sort of have accumulated in our lifetime um, and sort of all the environmental toxins that are sort of invading us as well. So speaking of statins, so many people are put on statins and I agree with you. There's a, a place um, and a candidate, a good candidate for these pharmaceuticals, um, especially if they are predisposed genetically to heart disease, right? There's, yeah. there's not a lot you can do about some of those genes. Um, so are you saying that taking urolithin A, taking MitoPure would be a healthy balance to taking a statin? So we don't have the clinical research to demonstrate that. So, and I, and I know I kind of keep saying that because I think that's a very important thing to kind of yeah. point out, right? This is something that's newly studied. So I always have to say that first because I, I don't want people to kind of walk away and say, right. we know the answer to this. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that again, when we know about sort of the damage that's happening to the mitochondria through medication use, even like Tylenol can be damaging to the mitochondria, yeah. right? So when we know- you know, and, and I take Tylenol from time to time, right? Like, you know, sometimes we alcohol. try not to take these things, alcohol, sugar, right? There's just, you know, obviously, you know, I think most people trying to live a healthy lifestyle are probably not drinking or at least drinking heavily and are not doing, you know, sort of like heavy drugs. But yeah, I mean, all of these things can be damaging to the mitochondria. So I think there is a case to say that anything that can help to clean out those damaged mitochondria and be able to help us rebuild new kind mitochondria there's a strong case for that. And once you start taking it, how long until you feel or see or know there's a difference being made? Yeah. So that's a, a wonderful question. And I'm going to start again with the research because I think that's a great place to go. So we see at one month mark, we start to look at muscle biopsies and we see gene turnover. So we mm. see that mitophagy is happening at one month. 
Then in our studies, when we did the clinical outcomes, they were a little bit longer. So we start to see those, you know, that turnover translating into outcomes at two months and four months. Now, we have thousands and thousands of customers who write us every day that say they are feeling better much sooner than one month, two months, or four months. Um, mm. And so we've heard people say two weeks, one month. Those tend to be sort of the sweet spots. And in fact, um, we are trying to put together sort of like a potentially looking at some of this data that we're getting from people because our customers, like I said, they're very vocal and they share the good. And, and sometimes if they have questions that, you know, they vocalize that too. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm constantly astounded by the feedback that we're getting that people feel much more energetic. And so for me personally, how I felt, um, it's a, it's a subtle energy, if that makes sense. So it's not like caffeine or getting a B12 injection where you just like feel that instantaneous, like energy boost. Um, it takes a little bit of time. And the first thing I noticed for me was the muscle story. So I was not getting sore at the gym at all. And I work out with a personal trainer and I, I'm not one of those people who keeps track of my weights like he does. Um, and, you know, I kind of was just like, are you pushing me? Because like, I just can't remember the last time, like I woke up the next morning sore and he was like, yeah, I am pushing you. And in fact, I haven't shared this with you, but like, you're like, for your age group, you're like one of the strongest women I have doing triceps. And I was like, oh, I wish you had shared that with me earlier. Right. So there was that. Um, and I think I shared this in the beginning, I, I suffered with Lyme disease and I didn't find MitoPure until after I was pretty well into my treatment and recovery from that. But I definitely had issues with lasting fatigue. And I bumped into a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And she was sort of asking me about my Lyme. And I was like, you know, now that you're saying that, like, I feel amazing. Like my energy is back. Like I feel great. And so it's sort of, like I said, it's like that subtle, but totally noticeable energy where like, I'm not dying for a nap at like it's, I'm on the East coast. It's three o'clock right now, like three 20. I'm not feeling like I need a nap. I'm going to get off with you. And I haven't had a chance to work out and I'm going to go do a workout. So, um, it sort of just makes me feel like me again. Let's talk about how it correlates with hair loss. Because you mentioned that you're starting to um, maybe do some trials or investigate yeah. the relationship to um, hair growth and, yeah, and your so lengthening. We've been chatting a lot about the dietary supplement. So there is also a skin line that Timeline has um, of topical. And so when you understand that basic biology of how your lithin A optimizes mitophagy and makes each cell work better, right? It can make your skin cells, and I include scalp as skin, right? So skin cells mm -hmm. um, be healthier, doing their jobs better. Um, and so similar, I, I like to use, it's a very different mechanism of action than vitamin C, but I think people are very familiar. You eat vitamin C, it has an mm -hmm. effect. You put vitamin C on your skin, it has an mm -hmm. effect. And so what we're finding is that same, that your skin cells do absorb it topically. Um, when you're taking it as a supplement, right? Like it's traveling to all of your organs. It's, you know, is it going to your skin? Yeah, but not in sort of that same concentration as when you apply it directly. And so we've done those similar studies where we are doing biopsies of the skin and we are seeing the increased turnover in mitochondria so that mitophagy is being impacted. Um, and so what it does is two things that are pretty interesting are um, 
it's it's slowing down again that sort of mitochondrial decline that's happening so that means that your skin cells can produce collagen better um the other thing that's really interesting is that we're seeing that our skin cells are now more resilient to uv damage so the number one thing that is causing aging of our skin is that bombardment bombardment from uv damage and so it's not meant to be a protector like a sunblock you still need to be mm -hmm. very diligent of taking care of your skin in the sun but it's making those cells be able to respond to that damage better the redness is is much more diminished and that inflammation that happens is much more diminished and so we are now moving into studying it for scalp health as well um so that study has not started yet but it's you know to what you've been alluding to is you know to generate you know, a uh, hair follicle and, and build, you know, strong, healthy hair, it takes a whole host of nutrients and yep. it takes healthy mitochondria as well. So that's something to stay tuned for, for sure. Um, that is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and we, we treat skin like scalp as skin and, and I've been personally, you know, this is a totally, you know, off the, the record type of thing, but I, I do use their skin products and I'm starting to get some hair thinning here and I do like rub the night cream and kind of put it in there. Um, so I, you know, it, I do feel like I, it's looking like it's helping, but it's definitely, will say my skin, I've been very happy with as well. So it does. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, have you noticed changes in your skin? I mean, yeah. your beautiful skin. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I have noticed difference in my skin. Um, so the skin products I'll first start with, they're very, we just have three. We will never be a company that is going to have like 18 different steps because everything is centered around the one ingredient. So we will probably never have a cleanser because washing your lip and a off your face won't do anything. Um, so we have a day cream, a night cream and a serum, and we are coming out with a eye cream as well. So all of those have 1% of urolithin A. Um, we are gonna be looking at doing a head-to-head -head study with retinol because that is sort of the gold standard in terms of like yep. anti-aging skincare and has great, great research in terms of wrinkle reduction. We're seeing very similar wrinkle reduction, but without any of that irritation. And it's much more protective against you know, as I said, the sun damage, and we're not seeing any of that irritation or that drying. So you can, I mean, you can really like lather it on. And um, I, there's no fragrances, very clean ingredients. Um, we are working on, I think, and looking potentially at environmental working group, but Yucca is another app, which does look at cleanliness. And um, I forget what the score is, but it's very high up there in terms of, you know, just very clean ingredients to to put on our skin, no fragrances, no dyes, nothing like that, no parabens, none of the like big things right. you want to be avoiding in skincare. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, urolithin A is also FDA approved, correct? So the way the dietary supplements are is um, we have sort of three products. We They all have, we didn't talk about the dose. So 500 milligrams yep. is sort of that baseline dose. That's usually what I would recommend most people start. Um, our studies did look at going up to a thousand. So you can go up to a thousand. There's no reason to go up more. It is it's not necessarily dangerous to take more. There's not like an upper level level in terms of safety, but you we find just a saturation point where you're just not getting any benefit to going above a thousand milligrams. So we do see better results with higher doses, but 500 is certainly a great place to start. Um, and we just, we want to make products that people will use, right? People are supplement sort of like people have supplement fatigue, right? And so sometimes pills yes. is not what people want to do, but we do have 
two soft gels, that's 500 milligrams. Um, but then we have two food-based approaches and those are FDA grass, which means generally accepted as safe. So we have gone through you know, rigorous FDA testing. Um, we also just got clean label approved. So our, our ingredients are, are clean, but the two food-based approaches are just a dried powder, which is berry flavor. Um, and you can mix that into like a smoothie or you can mix it into um, plain yogurt or like chia pudding or oats or it's heat stable. So you could even put it into like, you know, a baked good or something like mm. that, which is really nice. And then we have it for people who can tolerate whey. We have it in a 20 gram whey protein powder, which is a great way, no pun intended, to get that extra boost of protein because um, I know that can certainly be a struggle. You know, we want to try and have our protein in divided doses. And so that can kind of be hard for people. So having a protein supplement with the MitoPure is kind of a really nice win-win there as well. That's so, really cool. I'm going to, I yeah. have not started yet. It's, I just became a provider of it. It's up on my website and I'll put in um, the discount code for everybody listening to this podcast. Um, if yep. they do want to try it. And I think you even offer 50% um, off on a trial. I think I saw on we the do website. sometimes have some, yeah, some, some yeah. different, yeah. Offers. So, yeah. So, you know, and just to clarify, like a, a one or two day trial will not necessarily have you like right. feeling anything. And so I think that's important for people to kind of understand, but Absolutely. it's a great way to just kind of test the flavors and, yep. and see how best to incorporate it for you. And I, I flip flop, right? Like I, um, I travel a lot. And so I take the soft gels with me. Um, and I, you know, I do take a bunch of other supplements and so it kind of becomes easy to do that. Um, but at home, like the, the berry powder is really delicious. And I, I do find with dairy. So like I do have Greek yogurt for breakfast and it's plain. And so the berry powder, it doesn't have any added sugar to it. So I mix that in there mm -hmm. with some nuts and it becomes this like delicious breakfast. Or if I do need, you know, a protein shake for before or after workout, then I can kind of weave it in there and um, but yeah, it's, it's nice. Cause you can kind of figure out how it best fits in with what you want to do. How does taking urolithin A compare to using red light therapy? I know there are thousands of studies on red light therapy and how it works on our mitochondrial health. Yeah. So I think it probably works in a comparative and like complementary state. Um, so to be completely transparent, I, I the way that red light therapy works on mitochondrial health. I am, I know it does. And I, I'm not sure if it's in triggering mitophagy specifically, or if it's just in other areas like biogenesis or just kind of helping our mitochondria to perform better. Um, but I, I think all, in my opinion, all the things you can do to sort of support mitochondrial health are important. Like I, for instance, do take other supplements that support mitochondrial health. I think of urolithin A as my foundation for the stack. I do take um, some NAD precursors. I do take CoQ10. Um, you know, I, I just want to do all the things. I do ice baths. I do, um, you know, red light therapy can be expensive also, right? For people to get those devices in their home, depending on what they're doing. Same thing with ice bath. I think it's just trying to find the things that fit into your lifestyle, your yeah. budget, your living space. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's really what it comes down to. Well, Jen, what an intriguing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today and really just breaking it down in such layman terms, because sometimes this information is really, really hard to understand and connecting the dots and how it's working underneath our, um, our skin and 
you know, how it's getting to all the different places it needs to go. It's, it can be really daunting to comprehend this information. So sometimes people just avoid the information and thus mm -hmm. then they avoid the one thing that could really make a difference for them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So thank you so much. This was such a fun, it, I could keep talking for hours. So this was super fun. I really appreciate you inviting me on. So where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so they can find me. I don't have a huge internet following, but you can find me at Jen Scheinman Nutrition on Instagram. Um, so that would be my personal page. And then Timeline Nutrition is where you can find a robust amount of information about MitoPure. We have links to all of our clinical trials up there. So you can go directly to the source. Um, we do have a number of educational you know, blogs and, and other things. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, and then um, we also, Timeline has uh, Instagram, I believe TikTok as well. So other ways that you can kind of follow specifically MitoPure if you want. I will add all that into yeah. the show notes. So Timeline Fantastic. is the company, MitoPure is the product. Correct, MitoPure. So all of our ingredients are powered by MitoPure. Yep, that's awesome. that. That's the urolithin A. That's awesome. the magic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. Thank it was you. a pleasure meeting you and sharing your knowledge with my community. Thank you. I loved being on. Thanks, Jill. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.